my name is Matt Miller. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, and as Cody said, we got a lot missing at camp. So uh, a lot of the talent, let's say, is gone uh, as far as pulpit speaking. So we're, we're uh, reaching pretty far down in the bottom of the barrel. Um, I preach occasionally, maybe once a year. And so maybe this is the once. Um, I want to start with a true story this morning. It's about a guy who, um, who I, I hold in high esteem. Uh, I didn't know him personally. Uh, he was uh, known all around him by somebody who was committed to a goal no matter what the cost. Um, he was going to carry out his mission to the very end. Um, he was, by all accounts, a very dynamic speaker. Uh, we're told that he was a powerful debater. He was wise beyond his ears. Um, very smart. He was sharp. Um, the eyewitness descriptions of him say that he had wisdom that could not be withstood. And those who found themselves in opposition to him uh, could not hold their ground. This man believed in Jesus, no doubts in his mind. And in the face of extreme adversity, this man would not buckle. Uh, on what would be his last assignment, he was facing a very large, angry mob, a sham trial in front of a hostile jury, and in the face of insurmountable odds, his faith did not waver. I want to come back to him in just a little bit, uh, but I want to start with a prayer just to calm me down a little bit. Um, Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, Lord, and we consider what it means to believe in you, Lord, as we consider honestly what it means to doubt in you, uh, as the giver of all things, even our breath, I pray that you just grant us discernment and wisdom this morning. I pray that what comes out of my mouth would be uh, your truth, Lord, and uh, just speak to us this morning. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text we're going to be out of, this reading out of this morning is in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. It's 907 in your pew Bible, if you want to look it up that way. Uh, we're entering the text at the end of a story so I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, if you're, Jesus has been crucified already, and he's uh, been buried in the tomb. And if you remember, his body was laid in the tomb, and a big stone rolled in front of it, and there were a bunch of Roman guards guarding it. The authorities of the day were a little bit afraid Jesus, uh, the disciples, were going to come steal the body because Jesus had been claiming he would rise from the dead. They were afraid the disciples were going to steal the body and then claim Jesus had risen from the dead. And so... Uh, if Mary Magdalene or Mary Magdalene, I'm gonna, I'll probably say it three different ways, um, but she was one of the followers of Christ, and she had been going to the tomb, we assume regularly, to mourn. And so on her, one of her trips to the tomb, uh, she's thinking she's going to find it just like she did every other day, a whole bunch of Roman soldiers, big guard, big rock, and, and that was what she's going to see. But when she got there, in reality, she found an empty tomb, and the rock was moved away, and no soldiers. So she runs and gets the disciples, brings them back. They confirm what she's seen. T tomb's empty. The disciples leave. So they leave her um, all alone. And if you can imagine, I want you to put yourself in, in Mary's place just for a moment. Uh, in, it, just in that moment. She's, she's been going, she, she, what she witnessed in the last few days was uh, her Savior was falsely arrested falsely accused and arrested, brutally tortured, viciously killed for the world to see, hung on a cross, and the only thing she has left to remember him by, a corpse, has been stolen in her mind. That's what she thinks. 
Um, and so she's in, I, I would, I'm reading into this a little bit, but I, I think she was kind of in panic mode at this point. Her world has just unraveled times 10, and it, yet it has been, and it did again right there. So as she's looking through her, her eye, teary eyes at the tomb, two angels appear to her, whom she doesn't seem to recognize as angels. This is, this is why I think she was so deep in grief she couldn't think clearly. And then she hears a voice behind her who she thinks is a gardener. But really, it's Jesus. She doesn't recognize Jesus even. That, that's how upset she is. And um, she pleads, she turns around and pleads with the gardener. It seems like she ignores the angels and pleads with the gardener. Uh, if you had taken the body, please show me where. So imagine the panic and the grief in her voice. She's so upset she doesn't recognize the angels. She's so upset she doesn't realize Jesus. The, 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 there's two guys, two angels sitting in the tomb where Jesus was, was buried um, in the depth of her grief, at the bottom of that pit she was in, I knew I was going to do that. Damn, come in. I blame all the Stuber family. Um, in the bottom of that pit, in her doubt and in her confusion, the risen Lord reveals himself to her, simply saying, Mary, Mary, it's me. So after some brief instructions from the Lord, uh, she goes to the disciples and announces, I've seen the Lord. And so this is where our verses pick up today. Uh, we'll start in John uh, chapter 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, I say again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later. Now, let's, let's stop just for a second and think about what those eight days felt like for Thomas. He and Mary and the disciples had all gone through this great trauma. Uh, they followed Jesus in person. Thomas saw him face to face probably close to every day. Um, he was their teacher. He was their mentor. He was their leader. He hung on every word Jesus said that came out of Jesus' lips. He was in the inner circle. There's only 12 guys that can claim that, that, that were disciples of Christ in that, in that little group. And this guy was one of them. He knew, better, he knew Jesus better probably than most people ever on earth other than those 12. All that experience, think about how much he'd been with Christ, all that experience and what he'd been through in the last four or five days, three, four, five days, he said, I'm done. I give up. No more. I've had enough. Unless I physically see and feel and touch Jesus, feel those wounds, I will never believe. Let's pick up our text again. Eight days later... His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, 
and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why we're called believers. Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at belief and doubt today. And it seems to be a hot topic in our current culture. Our youth are faced with so much more information than I had at their age. I'm certain I would have a far more doubt if I, if I was living in this day and age at that, at their, um, in their generation. Uh, and so the first thing I want to bring out tonight is, today is God meets us where we're at. Are you doubting right now? Are you doubting your faith? Are you struggling to believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Are you doubting to believe there's a good God that would allow bad things to happen? I want you to look at Mary Magdalene, look at Thomas, look at the disciples. Every one of them had been through serious trial in that time. And God knew it was going to be the exact same for us. I think when it says, um, these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, I don't think it means just the accounts of the resurrection. I think it's talking about the interaction with the disciples, with Thomas, with Mary. I think those things are written also so we know that people who walked with Jesus personally struggled to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that God met them where they were at. I want to I look at another example of somebody struggling to believe. They're, the Bible is chucked full of them. Um, this time it's a father who has a child who is demon-possessed. And this demon is doing its best to snuff out this young man's life. Uh, and this is difficult to picture in our context in this world, but uh, in places where the occult is more prevalent, I think, uh, I think demon possession is far more prevalent as well. And so this one, I, I, the rest of them will be up on the screen. Mark 9, 18. And this is the dad going to Jesus and saying and telling Jesus what's happening to the son. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And one of my favorite lines in the Bible, I have to think that Jesus got a sarcastic tone in his voice, although I don't know if Jesus was sarcastic. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. God meets us where we're at, but isn't that where we've all been at one time or another? I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe I doubt. I doubt I believe. I believe I doubt. We go through this all through our lives, but God meets us where we're at. This dad isn't exactly showing uh, an unshakable faith in Jesus' ability to heal his son. 
Um, but think about what he just witnessed. He's been living his life with a son who every time he walked by fire, cast himself into the fire or into water to drown him or whatever. And he, who knows what he'd tried before he went to the disciples, but he finally went to the disciples and they failed. And so now he lands at Jesus, not really sure what's going to happen here. So I think what forms our doubts and our belief, much of it is just simply our experiences. Seeing his child in trauma day after day after day, the disciples failing, seeing the other things he'd done not work, he landed a belief. And I don't think we often, I don't anyway, give a ton of conscious thought to how I form a belief in my head, um, but uh, I think much of it's personal observation and, uh, and uh, experience. So we're in a Bible study, Paul and I were with some other couples, and in a portion of it we were talking about belief and how they come about. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the, one, the one point struck me, and it took me a long time to digest it, so I'm hoping I can, I can kind of help you understand it, because I'm not sure I fully do. Um, belief itself is not truth. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Belief itself is not truth. Your current beliefs and my current beliefs are formulated by a mix of parenting, experience, teachers, friends, culture, media. That means if I have a different history than you, a different parents, different experiences, different teachers, different friends, different culture, different media, then I most likely have some beliefs that vary from your beliefs. So whose beliefs are true? Well, beliefs are not truth. Even if you know everything about a topic, there is to know your belief itself is not truth. What you believe in may or may not be, but your belief is not truth. So that dad's belief in Jesus or Jesus' ability was formed by the experiences he had up to that date. Same with the disciples, same with Mary. That brings us to our next point. Our beliefs change. God's truth does not. Some of you may know Craig Mercer from 12 Stones. It's a counseling ministry we use out in Indiana. And uh, he made me aware of this quote. I don't know if it's his, but he gets the credit for it. Um, Call him if you need to know who it is. Uh, But it is on my best day, with my greatest insight, I see dimly. On my best day, with my greatest insight, I see dimly. At any given time, I can only see a part of a whole. Last time I preached, I used the analogy of Mount Rushmore and what Rushmore looks like from different angles. If you're standing at the front of it, there's the faces. If you're standing at the back of it, it looks like a regular old mountain. But if you form your belief solely on one side or the other, you're going to be incorrect. Your belief's going to be incorrect. My beliefs have changed uh, many times throughout the years on different things, and they're still changing because I gain more experience, more insight. My old way of thinking has expanded a little bit. Uh, But the one thing that has not changed is God's truth. That remains steadfast. So for those of you who know the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, you know his previous name was Saul, and that he was part of the religious elect, right? He was the go-to guy for religious law. Nobody knew it better than him. He mercilessly persecuted Christians, He jailed them, he beat them, he killed them. Uh, You see, Saul was a believer in God, but he didn't know God. He was an expert in God's word, but he didn't know God. 
So I want to go look at that just a little bit in Acts. We're going to look at Paul. It said in Acts 1-3, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We're talking about the apostle Paul here. And for those of you who know the rest of the story, Jesus met Saul where he was at. Right? This wasn't Thomas. This wasn't Mary. This wasn't the disciples. Um, This was someone killing and jailing believers. But God met Saul where he was at. I promise you Saul wasn't looking to become a convert. Let's, glance at the, let's, let's look at the story, the rest of that story in Acts 9.1. Uh, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to them, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul was breathing murderous threats. What did Jesus do? He met him where he was at. But Saul's beliefs were not truth, were they? Let's read the next bit. The Lord sent another believer. He struck Saul blind. Saul went somewhere. The Lord sent another believer named Ananias to go talk to Saul and send him a message from the Lord. And I think, in my mind, if I was Ananias, this is a suicide mission. Saul has a reputation for killing people like me and putting me in jail. And the Lord says, I want you to go to Saul and give him a message from me. Uh, I'd be a little nervous. Um, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on, on him, Saul, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Saul's beliefs changed in that instant. He went from persecuting God's church to being persecuted for furthering God's church in just a few days. They cha- his, his beliefs changed 180 degrees, one of the, and arguably one of the most godly men to ever walk the planet. Beliefs change, God's truth does not. So what did Paul, Mary Magdalene, remember her weeping at the tomb? The disciples... Thomas, who is now forever known as Doubting Thomas, um, the dad with the possessed son, me, you, if you're a follower of Christ, what do we all have in common? The Lord met us in our obstinance, in our doubt, in our fear, in our grief. When those people earnestly sought the Lord, and even saw when he wasn't seeking, Jesus met them where they were at. He gave them what they needed for belief. He is the provider of all things. For Mary, what she needed, it was a gentle mention of her name, Mary. For the disciples, it was appearing in a locked room without using the door. 
for Thomas, Thomas needed to see and feel those wounds. For the dad with the possessed son, he needed to see his son freed from spiritual possession. Saul, he confronted Saul with his hostility and obstinance with blindness and sending an old believer who delivered a message from God. For me, as a lost teenager on a path of apathy and self-centeredness, God approached me at the cabin a long, long time ago. God meets us where we're at and gives us what we need. You see, God grants us the ability to believe. We don't have the wisdom, power, or strength on our own. So maybe you aren't sure where you stand right now spiritually. Uh, Maybe you've been a believer for decades, and that belief in God really hasn't changed your life. No fruit. Maybe you believe because your parents believed, but maybe not right now. Maybe you're looking for something and you're not really even sure what that is. Or maybe you're going through a trial right now in your marriage, in your family, and God doesn't feel very close right now. God will meet you where you are at. And if you only hear one thing this morning, please hear that. God will meet you where you are at. He knows what you need. He will not, I want you to pay attention to this as well. He will not only meet you where you're at, he will not leave you there. When, Christ, when we have an encounter with Christ, he compels us to move forward. You can't stay where you're at in sin or grief or agony. He will work you through that and move you forward, but an encounter with Christ compels us to move forward with him. So seek him. So you said seek him. I said seek him. How, how does that play out? Well, um, does that mean we're looking for a sign or wonders? I just listed a whole bunch that seem to be pretty big, right? I mean, this is Jesus appearing in person or striking somebody blind or, or these kind of things or hearing an audible voice. Uh, or are we looking for an experience? Are we using science to seek God? This is a quote. I can't pronounce the guy's name. I just started calling him Ernie. Uh, when you courageously believe in the power of doubt instead of the power of God, much you see the works of doubt and least see the works of God. When you courageously believe in the power of doubt instead of the power of God, you much see the works of doubt and least see the works of God. If you are looking to doubt God, you'll find plenty of evidence to give you doubt, to cause doubt in your life. If you are looking to seek, if you're seeking the Lord, you will find plenty of evidence that the Lord is real. So how do I seek the Lord? Personally, it's, I think the two biggest ones are praying and reading your, reading your Bible. Good teaching also helps, but those two are the main ways the Lord's going to speak to you. Um, he might use a sign. He might use an experience. Uh, he might even use science to help you get there. But remember that while scientists are very, very smart guys, most of them, they're they're simply unraveling what our Creator has already established and knows the whole of. They're looking at a part of God's whole creation. So pray that the Lord would open your eyes to His goodness and read His Word. So that man I was telling you about earlier at the start of our time together, the one who was committed to his mission no matter what the cost, remember him? The rest of the story is that in the course of his assignment, he was falsely accused of trying to overthrow the government. 
Uh, needless to say, he was arrested, and he accused the, his accusers. He stood in front of them and challenged them on their belief in God and a risen Lord. He didn't cower. He didn't apologize. He didn't pull any punches. Complete belief and faith in a risen Lord, no doubt in his mind. That's where I want to be. So after his little speech, they hauled him outside of town, and they killed him. Right before he died, the Lord met him where he was at and gave him a glimpse of what was awaiting him on the other side. Just that comfort. That man's name was Stephen, and if you've read that account in Acts 7, you know the person responsible for his death was none other than the Apostle Paul. The same Lord that appeared to the disciples. The same Lord that comforted Mary in her grief. The same Lord who let Thomas touch his wounds and put his hand in his side. The same Lord that showed the dad of the possessed son that he was Lord over everything, physical and spiritual. The same Lord that showed Stephen what awaited him while he was being beaten to death with rocks. The same Lord that appeared to Saul as he traveled on the road to Damascus. The same God in his infinite grace and mercy showed me that I was lost without him. That same God will meet you where you're at no matter what. If you're sitting here this morning with any doubt, any doubt in your creator, come talk with me after the service. I just want to sit down. I want to hear where you're at. Uh, I may not have an answer that, that, that works right now but I'll certainly pray with you and pray for you. God will meet you where you're at. He grants us the ability to believe. Our beliefs are not truth. Truth is truth. Our beliefs change. God's truth does not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that this morning, if there's anybody here, that is struggling right now in their walk or in not even in a walk. They're considering a walk with you or just struggling to figure out who you are and what you are, Lord. I just pray that you would make yourself real to them. Lord, I pray that you just compel us to seek you. Lord, I pray you would drive us to our knees and to your word, Lord. So I just uh, thank you for our time together. Lord, bless the meal we're about to partake together. And just keep us safe today. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.